Hey everybody, this is Matt Sodnikar. Thanks for listening to these episodes. I really appreciate it. This one actually goes back to October of 2018 with my friend Von Sprecken, who is a comedian, improv actor, and honestly, I just lost track of this one. Despite having a Trello board and deadlines and you know, trying to run this podcast as a project, this one slipped through the cracks. But uh, in that, and sorry, Vaughn, for <laughs> making you wait five months for this. But the cool thing is that I've really gotten to know him a lot more in our time together uh, rehearsing improv. And he's really funny, but he also works really hard at this. So he's constantly writing, going to open mic nights. And if you have a fear of public speaking and imagine getting up in front of somebody at work your your work crew and doing a presentation try doing it at a bar when nobody knows who you are and you're trying to make them laugh so i think this is um, a courageous art form stand-up comedy and uh, i just really enjoyed this conversation and like i said the more that i get to know this guy the more that there's some depth there that uh, i really appreciate so with that, enjoy this throwback episode from October with my friend Vaughn Sprecken. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. All right, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm here with uh, my friend Von Sprecken, who is an improv actor, stand-up comedian. And uh, thanks for making the time, and, and welcome. Thanks, man. So take me through your comedic life, if you would. <laughs> kind of like how you became a... How you became to improv and how you started stand up and what got you into that? Man, it probably started really young. Um, I think I probably saw George Carlin on an HBO special for the first time when I was like very, very young. I mean, too young to even understand it, like three, but you just see this guy who's up there kind of confidently telling people things that like no one's allowed to say. I mean, he used to take on uh, just, just every institution. And it was like big things to little things. I mean, he'd talk about picking your nose and take down the church in the next sentence. Like that guy was just all over the place. And I thought, I mean, even before I could understand all the words, I was like, there's something so powerful there, you know? Um, and looking back, it resonated with me. It like, it, it impacted almost all my behavior all throughout school. I mean, I was a, a known classroom disruption to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, yeah, just always, um, I don't know. I mean, I like to look back on it and think I was speaking truth to power, but really I was probably just being a smart ass to all my teachers, you know? Um, but it just, I don't know. It kind of kept with me, but I was never, I don't know. I was never really raised to think that that was something I could do. I mean, I guess it's like sort of a conservative suburban neighborhood. Um, even people that did art maybe didn't do like comedy specifically. Um, yeah, it was just seen as like, uh, that's something that like a very small percentage of anyone can actually do. But um, I don't know, like as I've grown up, I've realized that you kind of just kind of, you do whatever you want to spend the time on. I mean, and you don't necessarily have to be uh, George Carlin to do it. You know, obviously there's only one of him. So I guess uh, I finally was sort of in a stable place on my day job um, where I could start like exploring stuff that I just never thought I could do, you know? And that's kind of how I found the improv group was, uh, just, I don't know, just looking for different comedy things to do. I would go to different stand-up shows with meetups there. I didn't even realize that improv had its own kind of history and tradition. And like, I didn't realize it was its own separate art form, uh, until I showed up to the classes. Like I'd seen whose line is it anyway. And that kind of thing, you know, I mean, I was familiar with sort of the short form. I thought they were just really good comedians though. Um, but it turns out, yeah, it's got its own rules and culture. And I just, I fell in love with it pretty quickly too. And I had a bit of a knack for it having been, you know, just thrown off quips in elementary school, you know, 
I sort of, I guess <laughs> right. I picked it up like a little quicker than some. And I was asked to be in the park of players and I mean, yeah, um, rest is kind of history there. And then I guess this year it was, yeah, always just something that I wanted to try out, uh, doing stand up. And I guess finally the pain of not doing it got greater than the pain of doing it. That was a big thing. Whereas like I, even, you know, I, I had done a little bit of like cursory research on it and getting into it and really just like most art. I mean, especially at first it doesn't pay the bills. It's going to be, you know, a lot of people never do it as more than like a hobby or something like that. It's not necessarily, you know, if you're looking for a get rich, a get rich quick scheme, it's not that. Um, and even realizing all this, I finally got to the point where I was like, yeah, but this is something that's been like a big part of me for so long. I mean, if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it forever. So I just had to, I don't know, try it out, see where it went. Um, even if it never turns into anything, it's just, I definitely found it, it's like a, a homecoming type feeling, like something that I should have done a long time ago. And like, I finally found the time to do it. So that's cool. Thanks. <clears throat> I'm gonna slide that just a little bit closer to you. Yeah. <clears throat> so when you were watching Carlin, mm-hmm. did you know? Were you drawn to the laughter? Did that impact you? Did that resonate with you? Definitely. I mean, it's interesting to see him say things that like no one can say, right? I mean, yeah, these these big controversial, difficult things, and people are laughing and applauding. I mean, that's such a positive reaction for. Uh, subject matter that you'd expect to, you know, draw a lot of offense from. And I guess, you know, it didn't really click with me at the time that there is a lot of offense still drawn. I mean, those people don't necessarily come to a show. The ones that come to see him are the ones that are going to laugh. But yeah, I don't know. Just seeing people, yeah, respond positively to stuff that people don't always, you know, trying to make light of really big, heavy stuff. And I mean, life in general is heavy. That definitely was something I realized early <laughs> on too. It is. You know, life is pretty heavy. And if you can find ways to make light of it. Um, and that was something I definitely did. It was, I think a lot of comedians have this where they, de- um, if you develop a sense of humor early on, it can quickly become a defense mechanism or sometimes that's why they develop it. Um, you know, I was never the biggest kid on the playground. I was never... I mean, maybe smart, but not the smartest. Definitely not traditionally smart. I um I didn't want to seem like a nerd, so I refused to apply myself to anything that was like academic. But I I could be quick at times, and I definitely um and I was willing, maybe just like emboldened by seeing someone like George Carlin or um like I found Bill Hicks later in life, or these people that were willing to say things that others just thought. There was a lot of power and sort of like a um. I don't know, like in the social landscape of even like a classroom, there's always like a place for someone like that. And that's always been, I guess, sort of how I saw my place in, I don't know, various groups. So. So you're younger. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fascinated that the two influences that you've mentioned, Bill Hicks and mm-hmm. uh, George Carlin are definitely way, way older. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's pretty cool. Sure. I mean, and uh, so yeah, George Carlin was still, I mean, he, up until the very end, he was making comedy. So like he was still in my lifetime, he was still around. I think Bill Hicks did die before I was born or definitely before I can remember. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It was just sort of, and it was on sort of, uh, I think my dad was watching it. He was, he, he liked comedy a bit. Um, We watched the daily show and stuff like that when I was growing up. But um. Yeah, like it was just on a lot before I could even really understand what it was. So I guess, I don't know. And now, like, as I look more into it, I mean, all the people, all the contemporary people I like were also, I mean, you're always influenced by what comes before. Um, I guess if you're going to nerd out on any particular subject, eventually you do end up getting into some of the interesting history of the art form, you know? So yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of, influence i mean even if you don't realize it you're always influenced by you know what came before so i remember a kid in high school um his name was sandy and i thought he was the funniest person i'd ever met Hmm. and it was kind of a brutal comedy culture in our little group and i remember Mm -hmm. getting roasted one time because i had said something funny that was like too late or not quite a fit and <laughs> and he recycled a joke when he roasted me he's like you know what the most important thing is in comedy mm-hmm. thousand one 
2002. <laughs> He's like, timing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was a, a kind of a brutal lesson right there to, to pick that up. But yeah, he just was energetic. Reminded me a lot of Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. But he was, he was a funny guy. Yeah, and that's improv really helps with that too. Being kind of quick on your feet is definitely a big part of it. Um, I mean, a big element of any kind of humor is the surprise. And so if you can get it out before people are ready, if you're a step ahead, I mean, that does help. Um, Or, you know, if you can't manage that, which fine, like a lot of people can't. I mean, I I even struggle on my feet sometimes, but if you can at least give the appearance of it. A lot of stand-ups do that where it seems like what they're saying is spontaneous, but it is kind of pre-planned. And I mean, if you're going on the road, especially and doing it every night in different cities, I mean, you'll ask a, a, a question to the audience. And if it's a yes or no question, that's easy. Have a response ready for yes or no. But even if it's a more open-ended question and it seems like it's a more, uh, you know, open-ended scenario, you can still, you'll probably get one of four or five answers, you know, from most crowds, most of the time, and you can have something ready for that. So as long as you're, a step ahead of the audience. I mean, some people really are just very quick, but a lot of the time you can plan ahead as well and be ready for it. And um, while the idea is still forming in their minds, you're already saying it. And just that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just that spontaneous burst of joy of having someone else do the work for you. (laughs) It's always uh, a little bit nice, you know? What is your day job? You mentioned that. Oh, so yeah, for bills right now, I work on an ambulance, um, an EMT. So that's, that involves, yeah, driving the ambulance, patient care, um, all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting field for sure. Um, I, I kind of just picked it up. I wasn't really sure what to do. College wasn't really my thing being, you know, a smart ass kid and all like that. I, you know, <laughs> authority figures and uh, this, the college Political life was not for me. Um, I don't know. So I guess, yeah, I was just looking for something quick and meaningful that I could do. It is very, I mean, it's hands on and you do get to see like an impact that you're having on someone's life. I mean, in a very immediate way. And in that way, it's nice. You know, there's a lot of jobs you can go do where you don't get to um, even really experience directly the thing that you're producing. But, um, you know, that's, yeah, ambulance work is something that there's no, uh, there's no denying that the impact it makes. I'll put it that way. There's no, it's no, it's not an abstract thing. You get to see the look on someone's face when they realize things are going to be okay, or that at least someone's there to help. Um, at least that's what I thought going into it. Now, obviously there's a lot of minute frustrations that, you know, there's a lot of, um, dealing with, I don't know, just people that you want to help, but kind of can't. There's a lot of, um, oh man, the paperwork is unreal. I have had more nightmares about the paperwork than I ever have about trying to save someone with CPR. Really? I've, I've woken up in the middle of the night, like who put away the reports? Like it's, it's, <laughs> I've really, you know, like who parked the car? These are the things that I'm going to get in trouble for, you know? Well, cause it's understandable that, you know, CPR is not going to save everyone. We're fighting a uphill battle. Everyone dies at some point and you're going to lose some. But if you don't file that paperwork, it is your fault and they will find you. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. As far as uh, just like consequences and things I'm bound to get into, you know, called into the manager's office for, it's probably going to be paperwork rather than poor patient care. <laughs> so. Trust me, I'd rather have you save my life and lose the paperwork than the other way around. Man, you'd think so, but... <laughs> lawyers don't think that way and they're the ones who are uh, out there making trouble for us so i don't know do you find well two questions do you find mm. that now being an ambulance or an emt has that taken your sense of humor darker i'm sure it was already there i mean when i was considering doing ambulance work i had to kind of do a quick gut check and think like am i going to be okay with this and the answer was pretty quickly yeah i mean i don't really mind actually uh yeah i've i went into it expecting you know like blood and guts and stuff like that and really that hasn't even been the hardest part the hardest part is the minutiae making sure you get the little details right it's not all action and exciting you know it's definitely um trying to decipher what someone's saying to you um sometimes they're old and they have Alzheimer's or something and like their speech comes out garbled. Sometimes they just don't speak the language. That can be really frustrating. Um, I don't know. Like 
yeah, something I, I think I was already, and you know, maybe it was that same attitude bestowed upon me by, you know, watching HBO at too young an age. But <laughs> my generation uh, gets traumatized for breakfast, as they say. So like, we, I don't know. That really wasn't the worrisome part for me. Yeah. Well, I asked that question because I was reading a book about uh, how a sense of humor, if you can make light of something, your brain is able to reframe it. Mm -hmm. And they talked about uh, people in POW camps, uh, concentration camps. They also talked about firefighters and things like that. And so it's one of those things I've always used sometimes very inappropriately as a coping mechanism in dark situations. Oh, definitely. Sometimes I've, well, I've learned now that I'm always going to have the thought, mm-hmm. but sometimes I don't have to say it. No, unless it's really <laughs> funny, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's always good. Um, yeah, actually, and a dark sense of humor is extremely common. I always do wonder, like, a bit of a chicken and egg situation, though. Right. Like, yeah, for me, I think it was pretty obvious just based on, yeah, being like a troublemaker as a kid and just generally, uh, I don't know, it, it was pretty clear to me in my case that I already was sort of, um, a little bit, maybe irreverent, a little bit like I didn't have the same boundaries as far as like what's okay and what's polite. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I hate to think it was like a trauma, but as a kid, I mean, I remember being very young and realizing that I was going to die, that everyone died. Sometimes life wasn't pretty. It was often painful that like, yeah, that I, I knew And there was always a sense that life could be very, very dark in me from a very young age. And I often did joke about it. And I actually, I do remember when I started the ambulance job being really nervous about it, but it seemed like I did kind of fall right in. Like I was definitely not the only one that thought that way. And it's hard to say. Yeah. I I know in my case, I think the dark uh, sense of humor came first. I don't know how many people start the ambulance job and then develop it as a way Mm. of coping. Um, yeah, I do. I, I wonder about that. Like the, the whole cause effect. Is there a causation correlation thing? Because it seems like a lot of people, I mean, you have to be a little bit screwed up to want to do that job to begin with, you know? And that's, I mean, that's who you want doing it. You don't want someone who gets on scene and you're bleeding a little and they go, Ooh, icky, I can't help you. Like, no, it's not. Actually, you'd be amazed how many of them are scared of needles though. We have to, <laughs> it's, it's nurses and paramedics and yeah, people that work with needles all the time and they're terrified. So I don't know. It's, it's funny. The little phobias that you get. I remember when I was in EMT school, uh, two of the girls wanted to take their tests in a separate room, you know, just their little multiple choice tests. Um, because it made them too nervous to be in the room with everyone else. And I was like, you, you realize we're going to be driving fast and there's going to be people (laughs) screaming. Uh, there might be a little, yeah, I think if you can't handle the pressure of a multiple choice test in a room with 12 other people, you might not be cut out for this, but, uh, I don't know. It happened. Did they pass? I think they did. I don't know. I didn't stick around to find out really. I, uh, yeah. (laughs) It's just that interesting perspective, right? Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. the complete disconnect between the test and what they're testing for and why they're doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like it's such a meeting of the worlds, right? Like we live in this, like, uh, I don't know, like there's common complaints about like helicopter parents these days and making things maybe too safe for kids. And can they deal with adversity? And like, there are, I mean, it wouldn't be, I think growing up, um, mine was maybe the first generation where that wouldn't be a weird request that like kids might ask to be taken out of the room for a test or something like that. And that the teacher might actually respect that. I think like previous generations, they would have been like, no, shut up and do your work, you know, like everyone else. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, mine was probably the first generation where it's like, oh yeah, we have to, you know, like maybe they do know the stuff and they're just under pressure and we'll, but, but is that the kind of kid that you'd expect to go into emergency services? No, like that's, you know, that's where the rubber meets the road where it's like, okay, no more special treatment. Like you can do the job or you can't, um, man, when lives are at stake, yeah, you got to imagine that that's just a, a weird accommodation to think that you would still be owed. Um, I don't know. I mean, and and there's gotta be, there's so many nice jobs for people. Like if you don't want to go and do something high pressure, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of other jobs you could do, but what, so why pick that one? I have no idea. Hmm. Do you remember the first joke you actually wrote down? Maybe not the first one I wrote down. I do know the first one I performed. Um, and that was just earlier this year. I've still got it. It's part of, um, 
I, I don't perform it that much, but it's actually still pretty good. I've updated it very little because, all right, so I knew that I wanted to do it and I'd been reading, like I decided I was going to nerd out about it a little bit. And like uh, I mentioned earlier, like, yeah, I was always maybe a little bit bright, but not willing to like be a nerd. Like I would read all the time under my desk and, um, you know, pretend like I was very much like closeted about my nerdiness, but I've sort of embraced it as an adult. So before I did stand up, I spent a lot of time reading books about it and like interviews and just thinking like, okay, am I really going to do this? Like, how can I best prepare myself before I actually do it? And I spent a lot of time writing down little thoughts and fleshing out ideas. And, um, really I put more work into it before I started than sometimes I do now. Um, Hmm. so like the first three minute bit that I had together was actually, it was also about being nerdy. It was about taking a psychology test in uh college and ruining their experiment because the whole experiment <laughs> it was this psych experiment where they're they're trying to gauge people's reactions to different animals right and one of them um was like a dog and one of them was a vampire squid which sounds scary but i watched so many nature documentaries as a kid i happen to know that a vampire squid lives like two thousand feet under the ocean if it tries to come up to me it's going to explode like a bag of chips on a mountain Like, you know, so and on the way out, you know, they have to, for ethics reasons, tell you what the experiment was about. Mm. And they were like, oh, yeah, we think that, you know, an animal that sounds scary or unfamiliar is going to uh, cause a greater fear reaction in people than one that's more familiar, even if it's less likely to hurt them. And I'm like, well, you should have picked someone who didn't know what a vampire squid is. then, Because like, (laughs) I'm one of the few people on campus who knows exactly who they are, where they live, how big they are, and that they are no threat to me. Like, I think... You know, they wanted us to score one to five on the uh, on their little paper. You know how afraid we were for the dog. I put like a three because I was like, I don't know, man, depends on the dog. Like, sure, you can even get in an awkward social situation because of a dog, you know, like no one's going to come out and yell at me, though. Like, I'm never going to have a landlord get mad at me for what my squid did to the carpet. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Like the squid is literally such a it's nothing but fun for me. I get to marvel at them from a distance, from the comfort of my couch. I can watch Blue Planet or some nature documentary, but a dog man depends on the dog. You never know. But yeah, so that was, um, that was, that's sort of like a really abridged out of order version of how I do the joke, but it's, yeah, that was the first joke I wrote. I spent a ton of time on it. Um, it actually went okay. I think I did it for like six people at an open mic and they were, I think they were at least amused with my enthusiasm. Cause this was one of those. And I, I this was in one of the books that I'd read too, before starting stand up, is that first performances, are often um, somewhat like blessed because it's like you're finally, even if you're nervous, you're so happy to finally be there doing it, you know? And not every time some people totally bomb, but I, I think I was just so glad to finally be talking about something that I'd worked on for so long that, you know, it was, it just came out like really enthusiastic and fun and nerdy and, you know, like, yeah, vampire squid, isn't this goofy, you know, like, and even if it wasn't that funny, I think they appreciated that I was like, happy to be there you know it was it was definitely like infectious i think it kind of filled the room so that's cool i think it'd be tough um do you find in that that six person open mic Mm -hmm. were you having to act as well Mm. so get the enthusiasm up because i think it would be easy if the crowd was a big crowd there's a lot of energy but with Mm -hmm. small people were you having to act and pretend to be enthusiastic or were you really excited about it? I mean, I was genuinely excited for sure. And I, I didn't really have anything to compare it to. So now, I mean, I've only been at it really for like almost eight months now, which is still considered infancy, I guess. And like the comedy community, I mean, it's not considered very much, um, you know, even considering that I'd been like a latent closeted comic for so long. Um, (laughs) It still doesn't. I mean, you're in a room full of people that have felt that way. And so it really is all about, yeah, like what kind of laughs can you get? How long have you been at it? Um, but yeah, that first time, nah, I, I was really just still just happy to be there. I've had better shows since and it, it seems sort of like dorky to be happy about it now by comparison. But nah, I, I was just really happy to do it. Where was the show? That was at uh, Comedy Room Room. Uh, that they have a really good open mic in Denver on Thursday nights, starting at 10. So yeah. And I was pretty ready. I'd had it all memorized. I actually, I mean, I didn't know how it was going to work. I thought they might give me like up to 10 minutes 
um, which looking back was absolutely bonkers. Like I just, <laughs> I, uh, cause comedy room room is probably the number one open mic in Denver. I'm guessing like, uh, yeah, as far, especially like, it's not uncommon for like 60 comics to turn up to this thing. Um, and you know, you get higher or lower nights, but like, yeah, that particular night I got there like an hour early. I was dressed very nicely. I, uh, very calmly just like asked the host what the rules were and what I, where I should be and what I should like classic annoying dorky first day of school stuff. It was like, so, um, and like I had a whole set list written out, but like, I was like, no, I don't need it. I'm going to be fine. And I'm like, so how much time do you give us? Like five minutes, 10 minutes. And he just looks at me, the host, um, Z Carrer, he's a, he's a really funny local comedian. Um, he was subbing that night and he just kind of looks at me like, I'll give you three. <laughs> it was, and, uh, yeah, looking back, that was reasonable. I, and I, at the time I was like, uh, okay, I'll take whatever I can get. And I just sat in the back of the room very quietly <laughs> until it was my turn. Um, but yeah, man, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. Looking back on that night, it was a wild night, man. That was nuts. The very first, so like one of my first experiences actually going and doing comedy and like in my reading and stuff, I had read like, yeah, you're, you're about to get into the CD underbelly. Like, don't even <laughs> worry about it. It's not what you've seen on TV. This is how the sausage gets made. Don't, you know, expect the unexpected. But man, the first night I saw like at least one dude who I think was working more on his manifesto than his stand up routine. Um, he was like this dude from Florida, man, I don't remember his name, but he thought he was Anthony Jeselnik, but not funny. So he would just say like <laughs> the most offensive stuff he could think of. And it was like, Oh man, I think he's going to bomb something after this. Like it's really bad. And then, um, you know, he's going to bomb and then he's going to bomb. <laughs> oh yeah. He didn't get a single laugh. I mean, that was tough to watch. And then, um, man, I watched. Were people groaning? Was it that bad or was it just so it bad? It was worse. Really... I wish they had been groaning, but it was dead silent. Like it was Ooh. like, don't piss this guy off. I think he's going to shoot someone. Like it was scary. <laughs> and, um, Oh man. And then, yeah, there was, uh, this, the two people at once went up and they ended up getting in a, a loud argument with someone in the next room on how to do a proper Nazi salute. And yeah, it was a weird night, man. It was, they teach you. Yeah. They, I was told expect the unexpected, but man, they don't even, they can't prepare you for it, I guess. And that's the thing, man. You can't really know until you get there. It's, um, since I've started doing it and I tell everyone I do it, pretty much everyone says like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. It's like, no, you've always wanted to be famous and have people listen to you. You do not want to be a comic. You don't want to <laughs> you don't want to actually go through the process of what that means. You know, it's definitely a lot of weirdness. Um, always fun, though. And, you know, yeah, I maybe that's just my weird psychology. I mean, if I can do ambulance work, I think I can do comedy. It's it's still it's that same basic um, expect the unexpected. Everything's going to be weird try and make something out of it, try and have some fun with it, that kind of attitude, you know? So I have to admit, I've seen a couple of uh, <clears throat> open mics, couple local comedy shows after mm -hmm. that, and I wouldn't say I want to try it. I would say I'm thinking about thinking about maybe thinking about trying it. <laughs> That's how, yeah. <laughs> That's about two or three steps of thinking ahead of where most people are. They're thinking yeah. about considering maybe one day, possibly, entertaining the uh probability of trying it <laughs> yeah but i would say that i'm probably a storyteller i don't know that i would be a comedian and no, i would have fine. to hope that the stories that i'm telling that some people would find funny um well and you can always insert random little asides and punchlines i mean it definitely if you look especially at like really good prose i mean it's really it helps to look at it all written out, you know, like on a sheet of paper where you can see how this story that seems like it's a nice, coherent beginning, middle end narrative. I mean, there it's still just a series of setup punchline, setup punchline. I mean, you can always take your story and punch it up and turn it into a stand up routine. And I mean, a lot of the, the best ones do that. I'm still probably in a phase where I'm, I don't know, a little bit hackneyed, a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Like it, it, it's still not super clean to make everything into a story all the time. It's, it is very, um, just kind of set up punchline, set up punchline. They don't all connect and flow very well, but I mean, well, some of them do. I've got a few bits that are quite coherent and that's pretty good for someone at my 
phase. So, <laughs> so what comedy books did you read? I wanted to go back to that when you were studying the art form. What um, did you find that was effective? Let's see. The the most important one I want to say was called Mastering Stand Up. I wish I could remember the author. Um, but that one was really good because that was about like if you wanted to make a living doing it. Yeah. Um, that was. You know, it it really had a lot of good advice. It was definitely one of those that kind of said prepare to like expect the unexpected to open mics, realize that even if you've got good material, um, often open mics are you and like a dozen to two dozen to three dozen other comics in a room. Um, there may or may not be like regular people or paying audience members or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, don't be afraid if something that you really, really like doesn't do well in a room like that. I mean, a lot of people are there checking their notes. They're just there to see their friends. Like you're kind of, um, not as set up for success as you will be if you keep going and you get in front of paying audiences. That's the main, and that was a big thing that stressed in that book is right for paying audiences. Those are the people you need to impress. You know, everything up to that is just practice and details and working it out so that you can make those people happy. Cause those are the people that are going to support you back. So that was a really good piece of advice and something I still think about a lot. Um, and it goes through, yeah, etiquetted open mics. It goes through how to uh, start, you know, making contacts and get on the road. And also, you know, it covers all those aspects, which a lot, you can find a lot of books on humor and writing and it covers that as well. But that was one of the only books that covered sort of the business aspect. And it was like, if you want to do this seriously, like not just as a hobby, um, if you really want to like make it, you know, quote unquote, make it and stand up, um, this would be like a good book to check out, I think. And I've also read a ton of stuff on, uh, I read uh, How to Write Funny. I think that's by Scott Dickers. Hmm. Great name for a comedy writer. <laughs> um, I think that's his name. Dickers is the last name. I wouldn't have forgot that. Um, what else? I recently just read Find the Funny Fast. That's a good one. Hmm. And I've been using that a lot. Um, and that one is a little bit like a bridge between not quite improv, but like coming up with stuff like the night before, like researching this, like, uh, and this was written by someone who I think does a lot of like corporate comedy and, um, charity events and, you know, things like that, where you can go into the situation and do a little research on who you're going to be performing for and like how it's going to be, how the venue is. Can you make a joke? really quickly based on stuff that everyone in the room will get. And it's a little bit more situational. Um, not that much of it ends up being something you take with you, but it's still really good advice. And I mean, I've seen pros do, you know, a good 15 minutes out of their hour, just commenting on stuff in the room. And it, it's one of those things that feels so spontaneous and fast. And you're just a little bit ahead and uh, saying things that the audience was thinking, but didn't put words to. And that's, um, that's a really powerful source for comedy. So. Are you finding one easier than the other between improv or stand-up? Um, maybe I've just had more experience with it. I do think improv probably a little bit. And also because the pressure is not all on me. And also because there's all these rules that we learn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you've gone through, yeah, there's all these little, um, the yes and is like the biggest rule, but there's also, um, yeah, you know, making the scene about the characters and um, doing object work and like all these little skills that you can do that, will reliably create laughter. Whereas like, I feel like writing and stand up there, it's a lot harder to find these hard rules. And I mean, in improv, maybe they're not like super hard rules, but I don't know. They're, they're, they're pretty solid where as long as you do a couple things really well and you can rely on your scene partners, then you're gonna like funniness just arises from the situation, you know? Whereas yeah, writing, you have to create all that context on your own. It's just you up there. So you better be ready. And, um, and you know, maybe I'm just not as experienced with it. And that's probably also a big part of it. I think, you know, maybe I've been at improv, um, about a year and a half. We'll edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually my producer. <laughs> Thought I had that turned he off. He should Sorry. know better. <laughs> Shut up. I'm recording. <clears throat> Sorry about anyway. that. Oh, so also, what was it? Oh yeah. So maybe I've been at improv for about a year and a half now and i've been doing stand-up for maybe half that time so let's just say you know maybe in another eight months or so i'll be as comfortable with stand-up as i am in improv it's hard to say 
I think it's not quite two sides of the same coin, but there's rules for improv. And then there's more effort, I would say, with being stand-up because you're, you're, you're still taking something out of nothing, but you've got to finalize it. You've got to put an edge, and not and when I say edge, not being edgy or offensive, but you have to get to a point, and then if it's going to work, there has to be a flow, there has to be the right words, so there's revisions, and so it's almost like on a continuum, right? That's kind of what I've noticed from my my limited improv experience and then sort of having some stand-up comedians explain it to me and then writing some stuff and just sort of thinking oh there's there's definitely a discipline and maybe it's more process for stand-up maybe that's what i'm trying to say kind of well so all right in improv actually i've been thinking about this a lot lately where in improv um a lot of the humor arrives from the character and the scene you're in and the fact that you're working with other people. And there's all these little, like that's such a complicated thing that there's going to be these weird little quirks and things that are just a little bit off, but the audience can still correct them easily in their minds. And that's kind of where the laugh Hmm. comes from is, you know, you want to have that. I've, uh, it's still a really hard thing to describe exactly what a laugh is, but it's like, I've often heard it described like a benign violation of your logic in such a way that you can easily repair it. If that makes sense. Mm, Um, it's you, you want something that almost, but not quite makes sense. It gives you a little bit of a bump of like, Oh, is that a concern? No, it's completely ridiculous. You know, you want sort of to, to walk that line. Um, in an improv, you know, so you've got two people talking to each other. They're both imagining a bunch of objects around them. So that's already pretty weird. So like a really good joke that we had, um, it was in our long form show. I think this was back in February and one of our members, we were pretending to be in a bobsled and then we you know, we're rocking back and forth. We're acting like we're on the Hill. And then one of our other members comes up and puts a microphone up to us. Like we're doing an interview <laughs> and she didn't realize what she would see. And that's already funny. <laughs> Where it's, yeah, you know, she just totally misunderstood because she doesn't see what we had already agreed to see. Mm -hmm. And now she does something that's totally insane. Now the audience has noticed this, but they don't really know what to do with it yet. Maybe this is just a part of the show. And so she interviewed us for a while. And then I'm in the back of the bobsled and I just make the comment, this will actually be a lot scarier when we're on the hill, you know, like, (laughs) and so, yeah, that's automatically just that inconsistency in perception that makes the audience go, wait, what? Oh, and then they laugh, you know, um, it's, it's that thing for them to get that inconsistency for them to, it snaps into place and it makes you go, aha, but several times over (laughs) that's aha, ha, 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 ha. That's what I think laughs are sometimes is a string of aha moments. Um, but that's another rule of improv. You took care of your scene partner there. So yeah, well, no, kind of, that was more, I think that was, um, well, it it was like a yes and thing. Sure. So she, we were acting like we were on the Hill and she came up and was like, Nope, we're doing an interview. And we had to go with that. We couldn't just be like, no, this isn't happening. We're going down the Hill instead. You know, like, (laughs) um, we just had to go with the fact that we were okay. We, we were acting like we're on a hill, even though, okay, apparently we're not. That's, we have to accept that as our new reality and then comment on the fact. And it's so ridiculous that we'd be, you know, this into acting like it, even though it turns out we're just sitting on a, I don't know. We're just sitting in the sled somewhere, just <laughs> pretending like, Oh, this, this is going to be, this sure will be intense when we're actually bobsledding, <laughs> but we've been acting all crazy this whole time. Um, well, so, all right. So that's, that's a classic example of, yeah, like uh, like good uh, scene work, sort of where you're th- these little misunderstandings that can arise from trying to share a collective imagination, which is hard enough to do. I mean, yeah, so that just sort of arises from or organically from the scene and the misunderstandings between us. Now, in stand up, you have to create all that synthetically on your own. You know, mm. you have to set the scene, misdirect, um, point out the misunderstanding without sort of being um there's often a problem and i think i suffer from this particularly without being like too clever you know so like um and that's usually the kind of humor that gets groans and stuff like that where it's sort of just clever for its own sake so like puns are like that a lot i fucking hate puns there you go yeah (laughs) (laughs) fucking hate them so it's yeah well and it does get a groan because it's sort of like you're not um expressing anything particularly genuine you're just pointing out like hey these two words sound alike and aren't i quick for thinking of that there's something very uh 
you, you know, sort of, yeah, just being clever for its own sake, um, without revealing anything of yourself, without having a genuine opinion or feeling behind it, um, sort of feels a little too forced, a little too intentional, you know, sort of put on, um, and that's another thing. Yeah, you got to really, and I guess that's an improv and stand up. You don't, you got to walk that line. It's obviously you're trying to be funny, but if you come off as trying to be funny, it's suddenly uh, sort of cringy. So, yeah. And I think it's easier to fall into that pit, though. Um, I've definitely seen people in improv do it, but I think it's even easier to do in stand up because it is so much more put on. And it's such an unnatural thing, too. Like, improv is sort of, um, I mean, you're putting like normal people a lot into false situations. So it was like, it's, it would be such a natural thing almost for like, if you were like pretending in a bobsled and someone comes up and talks to you, it's like, no, it's not a normal everyday thing, but it's just people interacting. You know, there, there's something very natural about that. Um, Chris Rock in his most recent special, I think does have this moment where he's like, stand up is like the most unnatural thing in the world. Like if a, if a little kid was doing that to his classmates in a school, like if you showed up to pick up your kid at school, <laughs> And everyone's just sitting there quietly listening to what he has to say, just him. You would think that kid's the devil. I mean, it's not, there's, it's, um, it's made to seem natural through a lot of hard work, but there's something very odd and different about the idea of one person getting in front of a bunch of people and just talking for an extended amount of time that there's something very, yeah, it, it just, it doesn't actually fit into how we like sort of naturally animalistically live our lives, you know? So it is a bit more contrived and you have to do a bit more planning to make sure it doesn't seem contrived. I was an engineer for 10 years mm -hmm. and engineers love puns mm -hmm. and I hated them. To well, me, I can see they're uh, they're smart people. So smartness for its own sake would be impressive. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so on my scale saying nothing is zero humor and a pun is about half a percentage point above that. Like sure. it's just, it's it's wordplay, which can be kind of funny, but to me, it's like it's the obvious joke. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's yeah, it's a joke for its own sake, which is a little bit. Um, it just doesn't have that emotional connection. And so, yeah, I've and this was in another one. Uh, I think this was in How to Write Funny, where he says, like, puns and wordplay are great as a garnish. You don't want them as your main course. If you can, if you ever have the choice between uh, writing something that's already pretty funny and if you can make it a pun. Awesome but never just go out and make puns for their own sake. And, you know, exceptions to every rule. And that's sure. why, yeah, and stand up there, there are some comics that work very hard with just wordplay and they can do it very well. Um, I think usually at its best though, you do want to have sort of some sort of underlying opinion or feeling or something that connects with people on more than just the cerebral level. You know, that you get that click of recognition from being able to say, Oh, I get it. That word means more than one thing. Or, you know, you get that, nice little tickle in your brain, but you want people to feel it in their heart and in their gut too, you know? And without that, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's also, uh, especially to professional level, I would say it's a little bit lazy. I mean, you want to put real time into this and think about how it can resonate with as many people as possible. And if you're just doing puns all the time, I mean, you better put some real work into them. <laughs> and I mean, that's professionalism in any industry really is make sure you're putting in the work, make sure you're really making it good. And it's just, uh, I mean, personally, I don't think I could do that with wordplay by itself. I think the fuse would run out pretty quick on that. <clears throat> yeah. I don't think it would last. I don't think it would hold up. When it gets predictable. Sure. Um, yeah. Where if, if that's all you're doing, if you're, um, if you're running out and trying to do an hour of nothing but wordplay, I mean, people are going to see the joke coming. They're going to know, well... He said the first half of the sentence regular, so I know he's about to say something weird. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you got to vary it up. And yeah, it's um. Well, and see, also, I mean, as I'm saying this, I don't want to like. I'm sure there's someone out there who could hear this and be like, "Man, I do puns and they're awesome." And you know what? They might be right. It's <laughs> there's always a way to do it right. But yeah, I know for me personally, if I did just wordplay, I don't know. I don't think I could make it work. It's definitely uh. It, I don't know. It's just one layer and I would want, I, you got to put more layers in there. I think, I don't know. So who's your, who's your favorites working today that you've seen? And I'm asking it for a different reason, which I'll, I'll ask you a follow up question uh, that I've actually seen live or, the, or the, the, on, the, TV on TV or, okay. <clears throat> um, so like probably my default answer is Bo Burnham. He mm. does a lot of musical comedy. 
Um, he's also, he does a lot of art about what it means to be an artist and like what he does, like a lot of art for artists, I'd say. Um, he's also, he's really, he's a young kid. I think he's pretty close to my age actually. Um, and he does talk about, I don't know. He sort of references just like a lot of like media culture and not, not just like cute little, uh, like, Oh, ha 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 this thing on Facebook, but like, what is Facebook? How does it affect me? How does it make me feel like really? Um, I don't know. I feel like it's something that isn't being done all that much. And I think he does it exceptionally well. And also, I mean, he's got catchy little songs and like, that's really fun. That makes it really stick in my memory. Um, and he's also, I think he's, he, he seems a little bit nerdy too. I mean, he definitely has like that, uh, one of my favorite bits of his, he like quotes Shakespeare directly for an extended amount of time, but then immediately just what, you know, like he's, <laughs> poetic talent is real easy to fake when thine sentences doth no fucking sense make. That's, <laughs> oh man. How do you not remember that one? <laughs> that's, you know, that's really good stuff. Um, man, who else today? And there's, there's so many too, though, where I get a little bit, I would, I just watched a Chris D'Elia special. He's got mm. some of the best energy of anyone I've ever seen, man, watching that. And then I just watched some of my own tapes today and I was like, oh my God, do I have a long way to go? <laughs> like, <laughs> and that guy, like, I don't know the, the room hardly ever gets totally quiet while he's there. I mean, he, like, there's always someone at least tittering in the background and then he gets these huge laughs and he's just boom, boom, boom. And it's. A lot of my jokes, I still feel like are a little bit, um, I need to work on loosening them up a little. Like it's kind of easy to be like, here's the setup. Here's the punchline. It's almost a little too obvious where I'm just da, 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 da. And like, you know, kind of when I expect the laugh, but he seems like he's just talking and yelling and just having a fun old time. You know, like he just seems like he's really having a blast and, you know, having done my own little bit of writing, like, I wonder how much of that is real and how much is sort of acting and contrived and a bit man regardless of what work he had to put into it when he goes out there he seems like he's just having a really good time and that's a great thing for your audience to feel with you you know i mean that's that's a hell of a good show sure so yeah i'd love to see him live um so here's a would you rather oh. <clears throat> and i i asked uh, shivani the same question she was mm-hmm. talking about her influences and she said it was a uh, keegan michael key from key and peel he's great too yeah and the would you rather so would you rather know that Bo Burnham is in the audience at one of your shows or would you rather come out cold and pan the room and see him sitting there? Oh man, I, I would just feel sad. What, what happened to him that he has to come hang out in my open <laughs> mic? What the hell? I mean, and I, I do, I've done a couple showcases and paid gigs by now too, but even those, I mean, what would he be doing there? That is just... I would, I would have follow-up questions. I don't know if I can just answer that at face value. Well, let me give, Man. let's, let me paint a, a better scene for sure. you here as your scene partner. So let's say that you've progressed and mm-hmm. you've got some notoriety. You've been working on this and let's just assume for this scene that he has heard about you and he happens to be in Denver for something. Mm-hmm. So you've gotten to a point where you've got some notoriety. Does okay. that help frame the... Sure. So there's a reason that he's there. <clears throat> or like if I was opening for him, would I want to know it or something like that? Or like, could it just happen and would I be okay with it? It's which surprise would you prefer? Man, you can't know. open for him. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you know he's One there day. to see you um, or you don't know that he's out there and then you see him out in the audience. I don't think I'd really care either way. I mean, I, I'm going to do it pretty much the same way either way, I think. Yeah. Uh, you would yeah. have no shit moment. Like, no, I, I, and that helps me with the nerves, I guess, is just sort of knowing beforehand what I'm going to do. Um, or at least having a pretty strong idea of it. Like, I don't want to get out there and be fumbling for material and think like, how much more time is this bit going to take than that one? Like I usually have a pretty solid idea and maybe some alternates in mind, but like I've, I've got maybe an A, B and C plan and I'm not deviating from that most likely. So. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it would make that much of a difference either way. Is there someone in the audience that would make a difference? No. Comedian or not? Nope. I don't know. I just don't see the point. Um, you still just kind of have to do your best and do your job either way. Sure. 
So I'd compare that like to the ambulance. Like if it turns out you're working on someone famous, do you treat them differently? Like, no, you, right. you don't really have time to think of it that way. I mean, you just kind of, it's, there's already enough things to keep track of and make sure you're doing right. And I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't fundamentally believe. Well, okay. So I'm about to contradict myself. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't believe in treating any audience particularly different than any other audience. Now that said, no, there are certain open mics that I've kind of blown off. Whereas like a paid showcase though, I haven't really ever blown that off. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they're there to see me and they're to be entertained and they're nice enough to give me their time and attention for a while. I just, I want to give them what I brought and that sort of doesn't, I don't know, like who's in the audience isn't really going to matter. Plus, I mean, now this was something I was told by experienced comics early on and something that I have found to be true is that individual shows tend not to matter. Um, you need to be able to do good consistently over time and that's mm -hmm. how you're going to make a career. Sure. So if, yeah, I mean, if you go out there thinking, oh, this is the one show that's going to make or break me, then I don't think you're doing it right. I mean, maybe I, I think that's kind of my opinion on it is that, yeah, you gotta, I mean, yeah, treat every audience like they matter and every show might matter. Um, and you might have a bad one too. And that's super to be expected. And that's another thing. I mean, and that's the number one thing for if anyone is thinking about trying it um the first thing you have to get over is that you're gonna fail it's gonna hurt i mean <laughs> just like any other thing if you want to get sure. good at you know and it, the only thing is that makes this a little different it does hit on some very primal instincts of like social acceptance um and our identity and like i mean we all think we can talk to people but then you put us in this weird unnatural situation where okay you think you can talk to them for five minutes and be relatively entertaining or at least not offensive um and remember everything you wanted to say and you know have everyone feel good about you when you leave. And that seems on the surface like something we've all done before, but then you go to do it intentionally and oh man, it's like a whole different weird thing. So um I don't know. Lost track of my train there. <laughs> <laughs> well I respect your answer about the not really mattering who's in the audience because I don't I didn't get any sense of ego with that or indifference. It's what a professional and somebody who has a professional mindset would say. Sure. Is that if there's one person out there or if it's somebody famous or if it's 500 people, I'm here to do one thing and do it well. And mm -hmm. so I, I respect that answer and I'm not getting <clears throat> any sense of, Oh, like I won't be nervous. Cause but it's like, no, I, have a job to do and that's right i respect your answer in that it's a very professional one and it it's kind of a cool mindset thanks but it's also i think it's like an emotional um it's an emotional resonance thing too where like you i don't know i want to connect with an audience and like it feels good to make people feel good i mean and it is it, that is why i think a lot of people do want to try it i mean they do want to be that person on stage that man if you can get in front of people and say something that makes them laugh like that that is like oh dude there's a uh, there's a lot of drugs and that's probably one of the better ones. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> it's, it's some really, it's some really good stuff, man. When you can, I've done shows for like two people at the corner of a bar where, you know, the bar is kind of full, but it's maybe it's a bunch of other comics. No one's really paying attention. And there's like two people off to the side that are really digging me. And it's like, you know what? I'm doing this for you now. Cause it, man, it's just a good feeling making people laugh too. At the end of the day. Yeah. Without sure. I want to have a professional mindset. I want to appeal to as many people as possible. And then also, but yeah, on the more like just human side, like, yeah, who doesn't like making people laugh and just like, you know, it's a really good feeling. So yeah. Why I, I would hate to think that I'd ruin a show. Like, so if there's someone important in the audience, yeah. Why would you in any way alter what you think is going to work for everyone else? I mean, I don't know. And I think, well, and especially, you know, if, the, if they're a comic, I think they would understand that too. You know, mm -hmm. if I saw them sitting like just totally mad, just arms crossed, staring me down from the front row, but everywhere around them's laughing. It's like, well, you can see what I'm trying to do here. I mean, I, I think if they're a professional, yeah, they would very much understand like not to mention, all right. And this is why, um, this is my own analogy that I sort of came up with where it was like one of those things I read early on where, yeah, don't worry if you don't make the open mic room laugh necessarily. Like you might have something good, but if it's, you know, 20 other comics checking their notes, you might not get anything even on a really funny bit. Um, I always compare it to selling cocaine to crackheads. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're trying to make a Do bunch tell. of people laugh. Yeah. You're trying to make people laugh that um, they spend all their time doing this. <clears throat> and um, a lot of them have seen me do the same joke before, you know, where, cause it, you know, it's, one thing to take a joke on tour and you get to do it to people that haven't heard it before every night. 
Um, but you know, like in the Denver comedy scene, you know, there's like a couple hundred of us that show up regularly. And so eventually you're going to run into the same people. Um, a lot of the time you're going to run into the same person over and over and over again. So yeah, if I'm doing my same joke, even if I like it a lot, well, we've both heard it 20 times by now. Is it a surprise that, you know, they, they know every word of it. Um, maybe not quite as well as I do, but almost, you know, so there, yeah, it's, I don't know. And eat, so pro comedians are actually known for not laughing backstage. You know, they'll just kind of sit there, just nice. You know, just they 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 understand like the move. Game. Yeah, like they understand the move. Um, but at this point, their tolerance is so high. I mean, yeah, coke to crackheads, man. Like they, I don't think you're necessarily if you're writing only for other comedians too. That's such a small percentage of the population that you're really you're never gonna take that too far. You know, might as well just hang out at open mics and. There's no reason to go any further than that. If you want to perform for comedians, that's plenty easy. So you could just do that. But <laughs> I, I like to write for audiences. So, What is the best show you've had to date? <clears throat> Man, that's a good one. Um, and why do you like it? Hmm. That's kind of a hard one. Cause they're all sort of different. It's like uh different people with different personalities kind of a thing. Um, I think so. Like my first showcase, it was unpaid and it was part of this like science outreach thing that I did. And we did that at um, the Denver museum of nature and science. So that was a really cool venue to work in. Yeah. Um, the audience was very receptive and that was really fun too. Um, and I'm still working a little bit with that organization. I got a show with them coming up. Uh, well, so I, I did my first talk on fake news. That was kind of fun. That's just sort of, uh, it was just like a quick talk on, um, like viral media and how it kind of infects people's minds and gets us to share before we've checked our facts and stuff like that. Um, so mostly I talk crap about cats and the Kardashians for you know about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, and now I'm actually working with them and I've started doing stuff about my ambulance job. And I, I have found that to be a bit more meaningful because I, I have a lot more hands-on experience with that. Um, I, I read in, in the fallout of the 2016 election, regardless of what side you were on, I mean, that was crazy as hell. And I got on this big like reading binge. I read all these books on like power and politics and media. Um, and so when I went to this science show and they're like, you have five to seven minutes to talk about whatever you want. My first thought was not the ambulance job. It was like, oh man, this is all stuff I wish people knew about. Yeah, this the way politics kind of work, um, and the way like modern media is. It, it, we're actually seeing things that we've seen before, but it's all kind of coming back in a weird new way. And I feel like if people knew this, it would really change the world overnight. And so when they told me I had limited time to talk, I was like, oh man, I need to talk about the media. Um, but now that I've started writing more. I think, yeah, the, the ambulance stuff is, it, it connects with me a little bit more. And it's something that I feel like I've got a lot more insight into that other people haven't already had, you know, whereas I was doing jokes about the media, it was, especially to an outside observer, it probably seemed um, maybe like at least a little bit interesting and insightful. Uh, but it was other people's insights, you know, I was sort of in, granted, I read like a bunch of different books and I tried to condense it all into like a, an interesting blend of all these different sources. And so it was probably, um, you know, interesting in that way, but it doesn't have that direct connection to stuff that I've really spent a lot of time doing that the ambulance stuff does. Um, so I hope to do maybe more shows related to that. There's a lot of issues related to particularly mental health and uh, just like healthcare work in general that I would love to be able to talk more about, but I'm still pretty early in that. I mean, they're really big, heavy subjects, so I'd like to at least have my setup punchline format mastered before I get into that. Write what you know. <clears throat> yeah. It's always yeah. the advice. Mm -hmm. When is that show? Is that scheduled? Uh, yeah, so November 9th, I believe, is the one. It's down in Colorado Springs. Okay. Uh, and that's going to be the next one I do. It's called um, The Peer Review, and I think they're attached to, or no, they don't call it The Peer Review anymore. It's attached to an organization called Science Riot. Okay. Um, yeah, and they're awesome. They basically take people that work in STEM fields, you know, and uh, and 
teach them stand up as a way of sort of like public outreach. I kind of snuck in there because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> working on the ambulance I was like, Oh, do I have to be a scientist to learn with you guys? They're like science adjacent's fine. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm science adjacent. <laughs> then I wake up like from a dead sleep in the middle of the night. Like, Oh yeah, I work in medicine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Completely forgot. Cause it's really like, it's mostly, I mean, ambulance work technically is like a, sciencey field but really i'd say most of it is more like a customer service type thing like really it's about interacting with people far more than it is i mean yeah we we administer medications and stuff like that we do technically collect data in the form of reporting um but we mostly just have to deal with people in distress i'd say that's the vast majority of the job so it's easy to forget but yeah technically it's science Hmm. you ever told a joke to a patient oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah some of them are funnier than I am. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's always annoying. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I've... Man, like, I'm stealing that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, no, I, I don't know if I've ever actually stolen one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know that I've gone through a lot of my stage stuff with them, but, man, that might be fun. Just set up a little one-person show in the back. <laughs> Just, hey, <laughs> it's only five minutes to the hospital, so I guess I only have time for one more. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> That would be the worst. Get me oh, out man. of here. That's actually, that would be a really fun sketch idea. Like if we could Wouldn't film it? that sometime. Oh man, that'd be really fun. Just like an EMT who desperately wants to be a comic. And like, as soon as the patient gets back there and he just whips around and he's got a microphone and he's just, <laughs> wow, you're being a really terrific audience. And they're just holding to their chest, just kind of breathing heavily. Just, it's great. <laughs> That would be so crazy. Would it be funnier if the jokes were good or if the jokes I were I think bad? they would have to be horrible. <laughs> I think so too. I th- and that's going to give a patient a heart attack. And that's going to be, and then, you know, the patient's going to, they'll have the heart attack. They'll get, you know, the def- the defib pads, which we don't, you know, we don't use the big paddles, but we have, everyone thinks we use paddles. So for filming it, we would need paddles. But anyway, yeah, we defib them. They come back to life. So anyway, I was talking to you about my mother-in-law. <laughs> Just really hacky, horrible. Lots of puns. Lots of just, oh, man. It writes itself. Yeah. This is gold. See, that's really good. Oh, yeah. Really good, like, scene-based, character-based stuff is fun. And that's that's really hard. I've actually been kind of avoiding it, too. Um, I, maybe I just want to work on stuff I'm not as good at. But, uh, well, so, like, yeah, we were talking earlier. I do a lot of, like, voices, a lot of characters. Um I haven't used them that much in my standup though, which is weird. Cause that's, I mean, if there's like a talent that I actually have the, I don't know exactly where I picked it up. Like since I was a young kid, I've just been able to do it. Just like listen to people and sort of just notice things like very particular things about, um, even like subtle things, like the way they hold their jaw when they talk. Um, like I, if I do a Trump voice, one of the first things I learned is you have to talk with an underbite. Mm. I don't know what it is about the underbite, but it really, and then, you know, you throw in the accent on top of that. But really, what's most important is a very, not a kind of a normal voice, but it's the vibration of his lower jaw. That's what really brings it out. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. So anyway, like, yeah, I just have like a weird knack for that and have for a long time. And I don't use it maybe as much as I could. Um, but I don't know. I just... I guess I just want to get really solid at writing. And yeah, like if I can do a voice, that's a good garnish. I don't want that to be the feature of what I do. Cause that's, it's probably pretty easy to burn out on that. Like, okay, you've got this kind of a, you can be good with a gimmick, but you can never really be great, you know? And I, I don't know that I'm ever going to be great, but I, that's something it's a direction to shoot for. And I don't want to sell myself short this early on by just relying solely on the fact that I can do some voices. Um, Oh, that wasn't my actual Trump voice, by the way. I was just demonstrating. <laughs> I promise I'm better than that. Um, that was like one aspect of it, though, is that, yeah, he, it's much easier to do his voice when you talk with a slight underbite. But yeah, you wouldn't want to get out. pigeonholed as, a, as an impressionist. Yeah, yeah. I don't, want, I don't want that to be my thing that everyone knows me for, and that's all I can do. Um, it's, well, and I'd like, not that I wouldn't like to be known for it. It's just if that's the only thing I can do, um, I feel like it gets a little bit stale. You know, but you mentioned as a garnish, I remember mm-hmm. I, it was somebody from Saturday Night Live. It may have been um, Jimmy Fallon or no, it wasn't. The, it wasn't that. But they were talking about the best guest they'd ever had. 
mm-hmm. it was Christopher Walken, and they were talking about this story. And I'm not going to do the voice, but they he was like, well, why was he such a good guest? And they were talking about in the writer's room that they're pitching these ideas and this, that, and the other. And then dead silence in the room. People kind of stalled out, and then Walken just goes, you know, bear suits are funny. <laughs> but he does it in his voice. <laughs> And the way that this comedian told that story was that he finished it with a spot on impression of Christopher Walken and he wasn't doing an impersonation for 30 seconds or 45 seconds, but he just frosted that little cupcake with that Walken impression. And I loved it because it was such a tangent and so funny about you know, bear suits, they actually are kind of funny. I mean, sure, it could be. Why yeah. would Christopher Walken know? Like, <laughs> as I deconstructed it a little bit, I was like, God damn, that is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> well, dude, this has been great, man. It's been an hour already. Has it, though? Yeah. Wow. Not bad. Yeah. Should so, we do like extra time to cover up the few things we're going to edit out? Because that's, yeah. <laughs> there are a couple awkward pauses and at least one phone going off, if I remember correctly. Yes, so. I apologize. <laughs> I will have a talking to with my producer about that. Right <laughs> so uh, where can people find you? I'll put this in the show notes when this goes out, but where can people see your stand-up? Um, and- I mean, I try and keep my schedule updated at Flat Earth Cat. Uh, on yeah, it's the joke that I did that I still actually like a lot. He's a he's a cat who's a flat earther. You know? <laughs> I think most cats are if you really think about it. Yeah, <laughs> they, don't, they just don't. I mean, maybe they don't know better. Uh, um, well, they're definitely anti-vax. That's the gateway drug. <laughs> never met a pro-vaccine cat. Um, but uh, yeah, so at flat earth cat is the main thing. Awesome and um. That's on Facebook and Instagram, and I try and keep my schedule up on Facebook more or less updated. And then, yeah, I'll be at open mics around town, random showcases throughout the city. I haven't gone on tour yet, and probably a good ways out from there. Um, I am starting to get together my first hour of comedy, which is like a pretty big undertaking. It's still incredibly rough, um, but it's starting to come together. So I don't know. Who knows what I'm going to do? Well, <clears throat> I want to thank you for the time, and I think you're funny. Yeah, I, I like yeah. I like performing with you, and I like seeing you perform. So I think cool. It's well worth the the drive or the price of the admission to come oh, see I'm this at, guy. I'm at Comedy Works tonight. So are you? Yeah, doing that <laughs> new uh, new talent night. But yeah, all right. Well, don't forget me when you're big. <laughs> you're gonna need an entourage. <laughs> oh, that's true. We'll just convert the Parker players. It'll just be a real quick switch over. We'll still do improv and then I'll do a set. It'll All be right. Fun. <laughs> that sounds a little too easy. We'll, we'll, we'll get it in editing. <laughs> All right. Von Sprecken, thank you very much. No problem, man. Thanks for having me.